before we jump into this week's episode, I would like to take a minute to allow you to prepare emotionally for the content we will cover today, or to decide to take a break and not listen. While I'm eager for you to hear about these topics, your well-being is of the greatest importance to me. Hey, it's Sarah, and this is Kids These Days, a podcast brought to you by funding through the Kansas Department for Children and Families. So like Haney said in her previous episode, justice is an interesting pillar because it requires us to get a little bit out of the box, right? It's easier to talk about identity and diversity because they're so common. They're, they're big buzzwords, I think. Um, they're, they're more so what we think of when we hear words like anti-bias and multicultural. And she talked about how when she thinks of justice, she thinks about the justice system, you know, like jails, prosecutors, attorneys, of somebody doing something against the law and then being punished through the justice, justice system, you know, like fines, jail time, whatever. Then, then that she pulled out the definition of justice through our anti-bias lens, right? That justice is correctness, the moral right, not wrong. That justice is impartial. It's reduction of conflict. And it's conformity to righteousness. But what happens when justice is not impartial? When justice does not reduce conflict? When the righteousness which drives conformity to the rules of social standards and behavior is unjust? And that's what I want to talk about today, when justice isn't just and the trauma that can go with that. As I mentioned in the opening, this is a heavy topic, and I want to be sure that you take care of you as you listen. So today is definitely an exercise in being comfortable with being uncomfortable. So let's dive in. According to data collected from the U.S. Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights in 2017-2018, African-American students in the United States, especially young Black males, are excessively suspended compared to students of other ethnicities, and it starts as young as preschool. Data shows that Black preschool students are 3.6 times more likely to receive one or more out-of-school suspensions than white students. And kids with disabilities, LGBTQ youth, and trauma-affected students are also disproportionately suspended. So this multi-layered fault of the United States education system is referred to as the preschool-to-prison pipeline. Or in other words... The process in which students of color are disproportionately pushed out of the school system through suspensions, expulsions, and overly harsh discipline and into the prison system. So a 2016 report by the Equal Justice Society explains that students removed from the school environment fall behind academically, are at higher risk of getting in trouble, feeling stigmatized when they return to school, and are more likely to drop out, never obtaining high school diplomas. This is why they are easily led down the path of the criminal justice system. So some further data, because you guys know I like data. (laughs) Further data from that report shows that students with one suspension or expulsion are three times more likely to enter the juvenile justice system the following year. So let's put some numbers on that. Black students make up 16% of public school enrollment, and white students make up 51%. But 
42% of the Black students enrolled in school receive multiple suspensions, while only 31% of white students in public school receive multiple suspensions. So we all know that high-quality early childhood education programs lay the foundation for a child's success, both personally and professionally later in life. High-quality early childhood education programs provide and encourage learning across all those domains, right? Cognitive, language and literacy, motor development, and most importantly, social-emotional development. And as we've been talking about this whole season, each child comes to school with varying backgrounds, cultures, experiences. Early childhood education is where children are learning how to self-regulate, make friends, communicate, express their wants and needs, while eventually preparing for their education in the K-12 system. And if children don't have that behavioral and social-emotional skills needed to effectively participate in preschool or kindergarten programs, they're missing critical opportunities to grow and learn. Children who are asked or made to leave an early childhood setting temporarily or permanently due to challenging behavior miss out on those important opportunities for early learning and social experiences that we've been talking about that are so important for later life success. And, you know, another piece of it is a child's expulsion or suspension may also disrupt the parent's work you know, which creates stress and hardship for families that can also harm children. Um, There's been previous surveys that have found that many children that are expelled from early childhood settings transition to parental care or unregulated settings, which in some cases may be less reliable and more dangerous. So how did we get in this pipeline? What's keeping us here? So remember back in episode 76, when I talked about facing our own bias and um, the concept of implicit bias, where when we are unaware that we have or are reflecting our own biases onto other people or situations, well, it's very likely that implicit bias is the most complex aspect of the preschool to prison pipeline. Right. So some examples of implicit bias in the school environment would be like the opinions and stereotypes that administrators, directors, teachers have about certain groups of children or people, you know, based on race, gender, background. And then these are projected onto the children, teachers, families unconsciously. And it's really interesting um, in there's an experiment where preschool teachers who were prompted to expect that children would engage in challenging behavior paid more attention to the non-challenging behavior of Black children, especially Black boys, than to other children, which is just a smack-you-in-the-face example of implicit bias. And implicit bias can fuel that preschool-to-prison pipeline because it becomes very easy for administrators, teachers, directors who are unaware of their own biases to start to punish specific groups of children or families for the same things that another group got away with. So another factor that's been shown to contribute to the preschool to prison pipeline are zero tolerance policies. Uh, Too often, 
early childhood programs use discipline practices that are inappropriate responses to challenging behavior and can actually, you know, make trauma and dis- racial and racial and socioeconomic disparities worse. For example, inappropriate responses to challenging appropriate challenging behavior might include sending the child out of the room or to the director's office, moving the child to a corner or timeout, calling a family member to pick the child up because of a challenging behavior, or like we've been kind of talking about, suspending, expelling, or dismissing the child from the program. And often these punishments apply regardless of the circumstances, right? So this means that reasons for the behavior like self-defense, disability, home life, developmentally appropriate reactions are just completely ignored. So because Black children are also disproportionately likely to grow up in families that are poor or in deep poverty, you know, these these exclusionary practices in early childhood settings can make those harmful effects even more harmful. And young children with disabilities, especially those associated with attention, activity, behavioral difficulties, also are experiencing expulsion at higher rates than their typically developing peers. So again, that's punishing a child for a developmental part of their body that they have zero control over. You know, children with challenging behaviors that put them at risk from exclusion um, have also been found to commonly experience trauma and family adversities, such as, you know, involvement with child welfare, severe financial security, housing instability, domestic violence, food insecurity, etc. So things that that child has zero control over, we are disproportionately punishing them for things that they have no control over and just continuing this cycle of trauma for them. Again, the research suggests that overall children at the highest risk of exclusion are those that could most benefit from the developmentally appropriate early learning and social experiences offered in high quality early childhood settings. I I think I've said it before, but if I haven't, I'll say it again. The children that need it the most ask for it in the most challenging ways. They're only operating from what they know. They're only operating from how they know to operate. They're operating within the boundaries and the expectations that have been set for them within the environment that they live. You know, and these suspensions and expulsions can be re-traumatizing to these children and a source of additional stress to families that are already experiencing adversities that can lead to trauma. Data suggests that children who have been exposed to domestic violence, parental substance abuse, and other ACEs, like we've talked about, are significantly more likely to be expelled from preschool, which we kind of just talked about a little bit. But again, to to reiterate that. These practices may serve to reaffirm a child's belief that they are bad, that they don't belong, that they cannot be helped, or that they don't live in a caring world. And that is the exact opposite of what we want for our children. The exact opposite. These harsh disciplinary practices 
Do not teach a child how to appropriately respond to challenging situations or navigate difficult or triggering environmental input. These inappropriate discipline practices also do not provide an opportunity for children to develop and practice the necessary skills to regulate emotions. Just like we talked about above, how important social emotional development is for children. If we are kicking them out at the time that they need that the most, we are setting them up for failure. You know, in other words, when children are removed from early learning opportunities, they lose the chance to build relationships with caring adults and learn appropriate social skills and behaviors in a safe, predictable, and potentially healing environment, right? We've talked about that with trauma and ACEs and resilience. All it takes is one stable, caring adult relationship to begin to counter effect, counteract the effects of trauma. So there are some program features of early childhood programs that have been found to be associated with expulsion. And, you know, I'm going to guess that some of these sound may sound familiar to you all. Teacher stress, child staff ratios and large class size, teachers year of ex- years of experience, teachers use of available resources to promote children's positive behavior, and teachers negative perception of parents. I will tell you when I was a classroom teacher, I was guilty of several of those things, by being very honest. And I think that's the piece, you know, we've talked about in so many episodes, but specifically that one about bias is to check your bias. Ask yourself why you're responding the way you're responding. So another, um, another factor in this preschool to prison pipeline is lack of mental health staff and mental health services for infants, toddlers, preschoolers, et cetera, et cetera. So this is something that I found very interesting, that while funding for school police presence is on the rise, funding for mental health staff has vastly plummeted and is absolutely contributing to the preschool to prison pipeline. You know, school counselors, nurses, psychologists, social workers are really important for students' mental health and physical health, especially in low-income school districts. And, and the, the United States public schools are facing a massive, massive shortage, shortage in mental health staff. According to the American Civil Liberties Union, 14 million students are in schools with police, but no counselor, nurse, school psychologist, or social worker. And while it is an issue that many students are without mental health services, even with even students with access to these services and their school environment are experiencing shortages and their schools are grossly understaffed. So recommended practices are that there's at least one counselor and one social worker for every 250 students. And at least one nurse and one psychologist for every 700 to ever, for every 700 to 750 students. Um, but the cops and no counselors report by the American Civil Liberties Union found that 90 percent of students with mental health services in public schools fail to meet those standards. And yeah, I know, I know, our program, our the 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 overall goal here is 
that we're really talking about early childhood education. And I know I've been giving a lot of stats and figures that talk about more K-12. But I think it's it's really time as a field of education that we are able to, we've got to stop, we've got to start bridging the gap between the first five years and K through 12. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what that looks like. I wish I did. I wish I had a crystal ball or a, a magic something that I could, that I could figure it out what, what that disconnect is. And, and so I say all of that to say that I know I'm giving some facts and figures about K through 12, and maybe that feels like it doesn't apply to us in early childhood, but it absolutely does. Like I said earlier, that our quality, the quality of our early childhood programs, our zero to five services, is that we're preparing them for this system of K through 12 education. I think it's really important that we are looking at what's happening once they leave our care, right? What is it that's happening in that K to 12 system? What are they experiencing? How can we prepare them for that? Right. So how how can we begin to fix this preschool to prison pipeline? Right. The so the thing that I keep finding in the research is called restorative justice. Restorative justice seeks to understand the underlying cause of misbehavior, repair damage and build a sense of community. Sound familiar? (laughs) Every behavior is a request for something. Look for the reason behind the behavior. So there are three main goals of restorative justice. And the first one is addressing disciplinary practice disparities, right? So reviewing and monitoring our policies and practices to ensure that disciplinary measures are not applied unfairly, that disciplinary measures take into account developmentally appropriate practices, take into account some of this information that we know to be true about the disparities in children of color that take into account trauma, that are trauma-informed, that we are reviewing our policies and procedures to ensure that they partner with families, educate families, that they take into account mental health services policies. And for more information on trauma-informed care practices and resilience, check out those episodes from the end of season two. So the second goal of restorative justice is to create a supportive school environment, right? Which, you know, to me goes hand in hand with that addressing disciplinary practice disparities and policies and procedures. But, you know, when we create a supportive school environment, we're focusing on agreement and mediation rather than just straight out punishment. Remember our dude Maslow and his hierarchy of needs, right? When humans are unable to perform at their full potential if their basic needs aren't met? Well, turns out this is a pretty excellent guide for beginning to take that pipeline apart, right? In situations where support for mental and physical health are non-existent, and administrators, directors are pushing children out of the school environment through suspensions. Students, as we've said multiple times above, are unable to meet their full potential. 
right? Students, again, like we've said multiple times, children and students across the United States come from all kinds of backgrounds and they all have different lives at home. When they come to school, it is important that we are there to access their needs and adapt instruction to meet those needs. Change Kids Lives suggests questions that educators can ask themselves to self-reflect on the needs that should be met in their child's classroom based on Maslow's hierarchy. Are students entering your classroom without their physiological or physical needs met? Uh, Are they eating? Are they sleeping? Are they getting enough to drink? Do they have oxygen? Are they warm? How safe and secure do your students feel in their home, in their school, in their classroom? Do all students have a feeling of love and belonging in the classroom? Does each student feel like they belong in a group? Do they have strong relationships with their peers and the adults that care for them? Do all children feel good about themselves and have good self-esteem? Are you giving powerful verbal feedback to support their self-esteem? Do they believe that their peers think positively about them? Do you automatically assume that all students should be achieving at their full potential once they enter the classroom? It's extremely important that we as early childhood educators are able to self-reflect and ask ourselves these questions often, not just a one-time thing. Every child, no matter their background, deserves to have their needs met so that they can reach their full potential. And then the third goal of restorative justice is professional training and development, right? So developing understanding of cultural competence, expanding your communication skills, addressing cultural biases, addressing implicit bias, confirmation bias, learning about educational trauma. You know that that's my soapbox. Um, There are certain supports provided by states, and Kansas happens to be one of them, for early childhood teachers that have been found to reduce the likelihood of expulsion and increase teachers' capacity to promote children's well-being and social-emotional growth. So one type of support is professional development that combines group training and on-site practice-based coaching. Hmm, sounds familiar. Kind of like the uh, Infant Toddler Specialist Network, which Haney and I happen to be a part of, and a little bit of the workforce development that... uh, Rudy happens to be a part of. Um, just I guess just a short little plug for our program. You know, we do community-based trainings. We do center-based trainings. And then we have the absolute privilege and ability to come into your home center program and coach you through what you learned in training. Coach you through those discipline issues, through challenges in your program. And this is true of brand new providers and providers that have been in this for 20 plus years. Research shows that we can give you information and give you information, but showing you how to apply it in real life is what makes it stick. So another one of these um, supports that they have found that helps to reduce the likelihood of expulsion is mental health consultation in which a specialist helps 
teachers, providers build skills and promoting children's social emotional competencies and responding effectively when a child has behavior difficulties. And I would highly recommend that you check out the Kansas Mental Health Consultants because we have that program in our state and take advantage of it. Give them a call. Um, Both of these approaches can also provide support aimed at helping parents promote children's social emotional skills, right? So just because when you get the information as a provider teacher and you go, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense, then you get to give that information to parents. And that is a beautiful thing. So in closing... I want to share a quote from the 2016 Equal Justice Society's Breaking the Chains Action Plan to help dismantle the preschool to prison pipeline. Instead of treating children like criminals, we should adopt positive interventions and institute supportive approaches such as restorative discipline. We should focus on strengthening student-teacher relationships and trust while prioritizing an inclusive and equitable school climate. We must provide teachers with additional support and training, including training in implicit bias, relevant neuroscience and psychology findings, and trauma-informed strategies. We must also make it a priority to recruit teachers and administrators from diverse backgrounds. We must hold school districts accountable through data collection and reporting. Finally, we must eliminate zero-tolerance discipline policies. So kind of heavy today. Um, I think that it's just really important that we hear about these things, that we t- are talking about them. Again, you know, being comfortable with being uncomfortable. If And if you're looking for more information, want to do a little more research, there are several links in the show notes uh, that are what I used for resources for this episode that give you a little more information on the preschool to prison pipeline. And I highly encourage you to check it out. So we'll see you next week. Kids These Days is a co-production of the Casito Kids Infant Toddler Specialist Network and Workforce Development Programs. These programs are supported through a grant from the Kansas Department for Children and Families Child Care and Early Education Services. However, information or opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the position or policy of the agency, and no official endorsement should be inferred. If you have questions, comments, suggestions, or want to share your practice related to this or a previous episode, please email kidsthesedayspod at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at kidsthesedayspod. Be sure to check out the infographic and other resources for this episode in the show notes. Don't forget to hit subscribe. This episode was written, recorded, and edited by Sarah Holmes. Infographics by Rudy Benavides. Music track Hackbeat by Kevin McLeod. See you next time on Kids These Days.